Well, there's actually a little bit more to the story than what I told the kids in the kids' talk uh, to the story of the scar on the inside of my right knee. And I was wondering if any of you would like to have a guess at the story of the scar on the inside of my right knee. Of course, you don't know because to find it out, I'm going to have to tell you, which is exactly the point with the kids' talk. Uh, and for the sake of closure, I'm going to fill you in. I was young, as I said, and where I fell over was actually here in Dubbo when I was living in Gilgandra as a kid, and the pond was a uh, frog pond. It had frogs in it, and I was quite young, and where, so when I was growing up, I associated my, the scar, the injury, with the frogs. And so as I was growing up, I thought that the scar was actually a frog bite, <laughs> right up until the age I was 12. I thought it, I was a victim of frog bite. Sadly, it took the embarrassment of my family laughing at me as I was telling a friend of mine about this killer frog for me to realise my silliness. Now, you would never have known that sad story about me unless I'd just told you. Because if you want to know something about someone, they've got to reveal themselves to you. And, of course, it's true of God as well. Uh, we can guess all we like about what God's like and who he is and what he's doing, but it just be guesses. We can't know God unless he tells us, unless he reveals himself. So this morning, beginning this morning, we're starting a three-week series on God relating to us by his word. And the first thing about God relating to us by his word is that he reveals himself. Now, we need to feel something of the weight of how much we need God to do this for us. Because if God doesn't reveal himself, then we can't know God. We can't know who made us. We can't know why he made us. We can't know why life is the way it is. We can't make sense of life. Without God revealing himself, we're left to flounder around in this strange existence, groping around for meaning and fulfilment. If we can't know God, then we can't know ourselves, who we are, why we're here. Without God revealing himself, we're also left to face death on our own. And so at lots of funerals today, you hear people make up stuff about what happens when we die? Oh, I'm sure Trevor's in a better place now, drinking a beer with God and telling him how he should landscape the place. But it's just pie-in-the-sky wishful thinking, isn't it? Having a guess at what God's like. They make up this idea that, well, God will pretty much accept everyone into heaven. But they don't know if it's true. They're just guessing, wishing, hoping for something good. Without God revealing himself, we're left on our own. Unable to make sense of life. Unable to face death. We need God to reveal himself. And he has. How good's that? In his word, the Bible, God reveals himself. Makes it a very precious book, doesn't it? God has come out into the open. As we read our Bibles, God tells us about himself. As we read our Bibles, God confides in us. As we read our Bibles, we get up close and personal with God. You and I can know God because in his word, he reveals himself. Now, in the Bible, there's two main things revealed about God. We're given the person of God 
as well as the plan of God. Now, obviously, the two are closely related. Uh, What God plans is governed by who he is, but we're going to look at them separately to try and get, hopefully, a clearer picture. So the first, we're going to look at some parts of the Bible that uh, tell us about who God is, the word revealing the person of God. And for a first stop, it's very hard to go past Exodus 34. So if you've got your Bibles, open them up to Exodus chapter 34. As you do, uh, a bit of background. Chapter 33, Moses asks to see the glory of God. And God agrees. God agrees to tell Moses who he is. And in chapter 34 and verses 6 and 7, we get to listen in. We get to listen in. So chapter 34 and verse 6. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. Who is God? You don't have to guess. God tells us here in black and white. He's compassionate, gracious, slow to anger abounding in love, faithful, maintaining love, forgiving, yet he doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. That's who God is. And Moses had seen that it was all true of God. He'd seen God in action. Moses has just seen firsthand the plagues against Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea, manna falling from heaven. He's seen God judge various acts of sin. And it's important to understand that unless God had said what all those things were about, then Moses and the Israelites would not have known. So for a moment, I want you to go to your creative space, wherever that happens to be. I want you to imagine, okay? Imagine that you're an Israelite slaved in slavery in Egypt, but Moses doesn't come. God doesn't appoint a messenger. God doesn't reveal to anyone what's going on. And so just out of the blue, the Nile turns to blood. For no apparent reason at all, all the Egyptians break out in boils and their cattle all die. If God doesn't tell you what's going on, it would be bewildering, wouldn't it? If God doesn't say what's going on, the Egyptians aren't going to know that God's acting in judgment on them. The Israelites wouldn't know that God's acting to save them. But through Moses, by his word, all the way along, God explains who he is and what he was doing. And as good as it all was, as true as it all was, and as clear as it all was for Moses and the Israelites, God would yet reveal himself more fully, more clearly. What Moses got was good. But it was only an entree compared to what we have in Jesus. So turn back to the Gospel of John. John chapter 1. We just had it read to us. John chapter 1 and verse 1. Jesus is spoken of here as the word of God. By God's word, he reveals himself. And his word became flesh, embodied, a person a revelation so complete and profound. So John chapter 1 and verse 1. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Skip down, verse 14, verse 14. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. In this word become flesh, we have the glory of God, much better than what Moses received, which is actually what John goes on to say in verse 17. Verse 17, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who was at the Father's side, has made him known. No one's ever seen God. But in this word become flesh, the Father has been made known. Jesus himself says the same thing in chapter 14. Flick across to there. Chapter 14. And verse 8. John 14, 8. Jesus here is having a conversation with his disciples and he says that if you've seen him, you've seen the Father. John 14, verse 8. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that'll be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Back in chapter 10, Jesus also said, I and the Father are one. Jesus is much grander than God's revelation of himself in the Old Testament. With Jesus, we don't just have an angel of the Lord acting on God's behalf. We don't have God at a distance, hidden behind some curtain. With Jesus, we don't have anticipations of what God is like. No, with Jesus, we have the word of God, who is God, become flesh. He who is one with the Father. He who has made the Father known. If you saw Jesus, you saw the Father. God has come and dwelt among us, shown his glory, revealed himself in the person of Jesus. But again, just like it was for the Israelites, this revelation of God in action, in person, needs explaining. Jesus didn't just come, burst on the scene and immediately get crucified. If he did, how would anyone have known what that was all about? No, for three years, Jesus taught his disciples about who he was and why he'd come and what he was going to do. He often took his disciples aside to explain to them that he had to die and rise again and what it was all about. Jesus and his actions needed revealing to them. And that's exactly what he did, which is fantastic news for you and me. Because we're in the same boat. We need Jesus revealed to us. And that's what we have in our Bibles. The disciples, not just writing down what Jesus did, but what it all means. A written account, an explanation, revealing Christ to us. That we might know the Father. You can't overstate the value and the importance of our scriptures. I mean, without them, who could guess what was going on that day on that hill called Golgotha, where an ordinary-looking bloke was stripped naked, whipped to a pulp, and then nailed to some wooden posts. Unless God reveals to us what that was all about, 
How would we ever know that there is the salvation of God for the world? That there is God at his most gracious, most compassionate and forgiving and faithful and loving? We would never have guessed. But in his scriptures... God makes himself known. He reveals himself to us. He speaks to us that we might be forgiven of our sins, that we might be spared the anger of God, that we might be saved from the wrath of God, saved from death, that we might enjoy the grace and the forgiveness and the compassion and the love of God, that we might be brought to God in our Bibles. God reveals himself to us. Makes it very precious, doesn't it? Now, it could be that you're sitting here and you've got some reservations about the Bible, whether or not it's reliable. Can we really believe what's written in there? Well, look, in a couple of weeks during our Invitation Sundays, one of the topics is, can we trust the Bible? So make sure you come along to that one if this is an issue for you. But for now... We just need to marvel at the fact that God has revealed himself. In Jesus, in the Bible, we meet with God. It makes Bible reading a very personal thing to do. As you open up the scriptures, you're listening to the voice of God. Reading the Bible is not some abstract, academic, textbook reading activity. Reading the Bible is listening. It's God speaking to us. And look, there are so many things that flow out of this. I want to just hit on three. First, and most obviously, you and I do not have to guess about God. He's taken all the guesswork out. He's just revealed himself, come out in the open. We can truly know God. It makes Bible reading a wonderfully exciting thing to do. Do you want to know God? Do you want to know who he is, what he's like? what he's done, what he's doing, and what he will do. Do you want to know how you fit into it all? Do you want to know God? Then read your Bible over and over and over again. Secondly, if God's gone to the trouble of speaking to us, making himself known to us by Christ Jesus in his word, why would we look elsewhere to find out who God is and what he wants? In Christ, we have the final and full revelation of God, the final and full word of God. It's really quite offensive to God when we look for more revelations of him, as if his word become flesh isn't enough for us. So don't go trying to find God in a sunset or in the tranquility of a forest. And don't be swayed by people who say they've got another word of God, like the Muslims or the Mormons. No, the Lord Jesus God, the one and only, has made the Father known and we meet him in our scriptures. Now, it's true that in the New Testament, there's references to the possibility of people receiving a word from God. But these words are always to be tested, to be set against the scriptures, to see if they're authentic. Because in the written word of God, we have the full revelation of God. God's got nothing new to say. He's got nothing to add to the glory of Christ. And thirdly, if in the Bible God's speaking to us, it makes Bible reading a profoundly personal encounter with God. I mean, if you're talking to someone and mid-sentence, they just turn around and walk away. That's not very polite. 
It's actually pretty rude, isn't it? Uh, You don't just ignore someone when they're speaking to you. God's speaking to us in his word. Don't walk away. Don't be rude. Don't ignore his word by just neglecting to read it. God's speaking to you, to me. In his word, we meet with God. So to neglect your Bible reading is a profoundly personal thing to do. It is not just that you happen to miss your quiet time. It is not just that one of the things on your to-do list for the day didn't get done. Neglecting to read your Bible is to ignore God. He's speaking. Do you get that? He's speaking in a language you can understand with words of grace and compassion and love and forgiveness. God's speaking to you and to me. What a privilege. I reckon we should probably listen. And as we do, as we hear God reveal himself to us, part of getting to know him is to hear him tell us about his plan, to listen to what he's done, what he's doing, what he will do. In the Bible, the plan of God is revealed. And look, we've already touched on this a little by thinking about God revealing himself in the death and resurrection of his son, but what was it all about? Where's God going with the resurrection of Christ? What are his grand plans? And how do we fit in? Well, God wants us to know. In lots of places, God spells it out for us. So hang on to your seats and turn to Romans chapter 16. Right at the end of the book of Romans, Paul summarizes God's plan for all things. Now, it was a mystery. It was hidden, Paul says. But now, with the coming of Christ, the mystery of God's plan has been revealed. There's no more mystery. It's all out in the open. And God's plan is this, that all nations would believe and obey the Lord Jesus to the glory of God. Romans 16, verse 25. Verse 25. Now, to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all nations might believe and obey him, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. God's plan is that people from every nation would believe in Christ and obey him to the glory of God. God's plan is that Christ Jesus would be the undisputed Lord of all. And there's coming a day when God's plan will be completed. On the day Christ returns, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's the plan of God revealed. Now, do you realize what just happened? You might have read this before, but do you realize what happens each time you do? As we read Romans 16 once more, God confided in us. He let us in on his mystery. The God of the universe has just let us in on his secret. He's confided in us and let us know his plan. And he hasn't done it just to let us know what life's about. God's revealed it to us so that we'd get on board, so that we would believe and obey Jesus and we'd help others to do the same. It's as if 
God has a planning room and he's taken you into it. And there in the middle of the room is this big table with God's plan laid out on top of it. And God walks you around the table and he points out the various details. He grabs the map of the world and he points out that the whole thing he owns, he owns the world. And he gives you this bird's eye view of how he's assembling his people all over the world so that nations will hear of Christ and believe and obey him and turn to him for the forgiveness of their sins. And then God points to Europe. And he says in response to your prayers, he will save many people in France. He slides the map across to Africa. And he says as you give your money to Christian aid organisations, He'll use that money to bring the news of Jesus to many villages, forgive the sins of many families. He'll also use the money to provide food and water. And then God pushes the map to one side and grabs some photos of your family. And he says he wants you to tell them of Christ. If you've got kids, he wants you to train them and instruct them in his love. Next, God brings out a scale model of your street and says that through you he can save your neighbours as you tell them that Jesus Christ is Lord with the authority to forgive sins that your neighbours might believe and obey him. And then God presents a slideshow of us, your church family. And he says, I want you to encourage these people to hang in there. Remind them that Christ is Lord so that they'll continue to believe him and obey him. And Lord God could go on for ages. But then he sits you down at a table for two. And after confiding in you his plans for the world and your part in it, God invites and demands that you join in. Now don't push the illustration too far. It's not as if God needs you. God will achieve his plans with or without us. But what will you say? What will you say to God today? God, I know you're more important than anything else. But I've got to get ready for the HSC. So once that's over, I'm in. Oh, hang on, then I want to go to uni. More study. You know how it is. But look, after uni, yeah, then we're on. Or, well, God, that's really very interesting. But see, I just got this job. Just got out of uni and I've got this job and it's really good and I really haven't got the time. Well, God, these plans of yours, they're you beaut. And I tell you what, once I've got my car and my house paid off, I'm your man. Don't call me, I'll call you. Or God, I'd really like to get on board with these grand plans of yours, but we're kind of starting a family. Can I get back to you? Or God, I can see how these plans of yours are really important, but I've got my kids' education to sort out. I mean, I know you're on about saving the world and all that sort of stuff, but I've really got to get them into uni so that they'll be safe and secure. Or will you say, God, your plans are big and impressive. And speaking of big and impressive, so is this world, and I'd really like to see more of it. So can it just wait till I get back from holidays? God, these plans of yours are not what my life has been on about. And I'm getting old. It's hard to change. And there's my garden I need to keep. Can't I just keep plodding along? Or at that table, as you sit with God and his plans laid out before you, 
his majestic right arm of power around you, his voice in your ears, piercing your heart with his word as he confides in you, will you say, my Lord and my God, here I am, send me, send me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for not leaving us in the dark, but that the light of the world, your Son, the Lord Jesus, your word become flesh, you have made yourself known. And thank you for your scriptures that we can read and know of Jesus and be brought to you as your children, that we might know you, our Heavenly Father, through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for revealing yourself to us in your word. And we pray that knowing you and your plan for this world, that we would gladly live for you by your word till our dying breath. For the glory of Jesus. Amen.